Welcome to Edenderry. The town of Edenderry lies on the edge of the Bog of Allen in the Irish Midlands, close to where County Offaly meets the borders of Counties Kildare and Meath. This vast, flat landscape of peatland is dotted with low hills. One of these hills, known in Irish as Edondura, meaning the brow of the oak wood, gave Edenderry its name. The hill was a strategic location throughout its history, and in the medieval period it was fortified by Blundell Castle, whose ruins still overlook the town. This was one of several hilltop castles and fortifications built to control the countryside of eastern Offaly and northern Kildare. Later, the landmark hill was the scene of an infamous event in Edenderry's history, the execution of two men following the 1798 rebellion. The Blundells were just one of many families who left their mark on Edenderry over the centuries. The O'Connors, to Birmingham's and Collies were other noble dynasties that feature in the story of the town. It was the Downshires, however, who were responsible for the creation of modern Edenderry. One of their most important legacies is the Town Hall in Market Square, and this is where our tour of Edenderry begins. Market Square. In the wake of the 1798 rebellion, Edenderry, according to John Goff, had been reduced from a good town to a poor village. And in 1801, Sir Charles Coote highlighted the decline of the town, describing it as having a miserable and shabby appearance, with many houses falling to ruin. And he predicted that it would soon be a heap of ruins. The fortunes of Edenderry changed largely due to the influence of one man, Arthur Hill, the third Marcus of Downshire. The Downshires were one of the wealthiest aristocratic families of the time and owned 14,000 acres in Edenderry and its hinterland. Amongst their other estates were Blessington in County Wicklow and Hillsborough Castle in County Down, as well as the family seat at East Hampstead Park in Berkshire, England. The third Marcus was a dynamic individual who sought to improve economic life in Edenderry. The Market House is one of the most visible reminders of his efforts. Construction of this imposing building at the centre of Market Square began in 1826 to a design by the noted architect Thomas Duff. It was completed in 1830 at a cost of £5,000. The ground floor was initially used to hold a corn market, and the round-headed doorways are characteristic of this type of building. In its early days, the ground floor archways were enclosed by iron gates to provide space and ventilation for trading. The upper floor of the building held court sittings, assembly rooms, a ballroom, and a museum. Throughout the 19th century, the market house and square was the focal point for fairs and markets, especially trade in pigs and cattle. The economic fortunes of Edenderry improved as a result. In 1929, the building was purchased by the town commissioners for £500 and modified to include a card room, billiard room, library and new ballroom. 
In the 1930s, it was named after Father Paul Murphy, a prominent parish priest who had died in 1933. Although damaged by fire in 1945, it was fully restored within six years. Further restoration work took place in the 1990s. Today, it is still an impressive landmark and continues to serve the local community as local authority offices. When you are ready, make your way to the northeast corner of Market Square to hear about the Methodist community in Edenderry. Methodist Chapel. A plaque on the wall at the northeastern corner of Market Square marks the site of Edenderry's Methodist Chapel. Throughout its history, Edenderry has been home to a diverse range of religious denominations, and each one has had a lasting legacy on the town. The Methodists emerged in the early 18th century under the influence of John Wesley as a reforming movement within the Church of England. Wesley travelled to Ireland many times to preach his message and frequently visited Edenderry. His first trip on April 15, 1748, is recorded in his journal, when he had a restless night before his arrival. I was not at all well about noon, when I began to preach in a large walk on one side of the town, and the sun shone hot upon my head, which had been aching all the day. But I forgot this before I had spoken long, and when I had finished my discourse, I left all my weariness and pain behind and rode on in perfect health to Dublin. Wesley returned to Edenderry on a further 15 occasions. Such was the power of his preaching that he convinced many of the local Quaker population to join the Methodist Society. In 1756, he mentioned that the society had built a commodious preaching house, which was filled by the congregation when he preached there. Three years later, he visited the rooms of Blundell Castle in the town and wrote, I wonder none has rebuilt it, unless there is a curse on the place for the sins of its former inhabitants. Wesley's last visit to Edenderry was in 1787, Two years afterwards, a local man, Thomas Ridgway, was received as a Methodist preacher and continued Wesley's work. A new Methodist chapel was built on this site around 1822 and was renovated in 1903. However, emigration soon reduced the Methodist community and the building fell out of use. Sadly, no trace remains of the building today. When you are ready, make your way east from the corner of Market Square along Colonel Perry Street to our next stop, the former railway station. The Railway Station The arrival of the railway in the 19th century revolutionised life in Edenderry. Rail had begun to spread across Ireland from the 1830s under the auspices of a number of railway companies. One of the prominent companies, the Midland Great Western Railway, had completed a line from Dublin to Galway in 1851. This line passed north of Edenderry, and there was a great clamour to construct a spur that would connect the town to the line. Miss Catherine Downing Nesbitt of nearby Tuberdaly House, Road, 
provided the grand sum of £10,000 to establish the connection between Edenderry and the main line at Enfield. It is said that she donated the large sum as she wanted access to the railway to transport her prize cattle to the ODS in Dublin. Through her generosity, the connection was named in her honour and the Nesbitt Junction Line was established in 1877. As a result, Edenderry was now connected to the major cities of Dublin and Galway. Local farmers could ensure that their goods reached market faster and so wealth was brought to the town. But it also meant that Edenderry was easier to reach from the outside world and many visitors came to the town to participate in nationalist political rallies that were becoming more common at that time. The railway was vital to the prosperity of the town, right up until recent decades, when road transport began to eclipse rail. The line finally closed in 1963, but an interesting collection of buildings still remain at the junction of Father Cairn Street and the Dublin Road. The original ticket office and goods shed are in use as business premises. To the rear are the locomotive shed and the turntable. As there was just one line in and out of Edenderry, the turntable was necessary to allow the engines to turn after they had entered the station. When you are ready, head back along Father Cairn Street towards the town centre to our next stop, the Quaker Meeting House. The Quaker Meeting House. Hidden behind the trees, on the right-hand side of the street, this fine building is the Meeting House of the Society of Friends, better known as the Quakers. They have had a key role in the development of Edenderry since their arrival here in the 17th century. The earliest Meeting House on this site dates from 1707, and around that time, a lease was granted to John Pym for the old meeting house. The lease with Viscount Blundell was renewed in 1755 for four pounds per annum and also included land for a burial ground. This early meeting house was replaced by the current Georgian building with its distinctive round-headed door and windows in around 1813. Stables to the side of the building were used for the horses of the Quaker community, many of whom travelled long distances across Offaly and North Kildare to attend meetings. Quakers gathered in this building every Sunday and on other days for silent worship. This practice is unique to the Quaker faith and does not involve preaching, reading or any kind of sacraments. The group sits in silence, but any member may speak and minister to the group if they feel moved by the Spirit of God to do so. The first Quaker settlers arrived in Ireland in the 1650s, and William Barcroft was one of the first to arrive at Edenderry in 1673. Initially, Quakers settled in the countryside around the town as farmers. They suffered at the hands of Jacobite and Williamite soldiers during the Williamite Wars between 1688 and 1691, when their livestock and provisions were plundered to feed their armies. Many fled the area as a result. The end of hostilities saw Quakers return to Edenderry in greater numbers. 
They were valued tenants as they were appreciated for their hard work and entrepreneurship. Known for their industriousness, they established several new businesses in the town. The most important was the woolen industry, which employed several hundred people in Edenderry in the early 1700s. Quakers also set up tanning and milling enterprises. By the mid-18th century, the Quaker community was thriving and there were 159 Quakers in Edenderry in 1765. In the same year, the first female Quaker National Boarding School was established here, adjacent to the meeting house, and was attended by 33 pupils. The number of Quakers went into decline in the 19th century in Edenderry. In 1810, only 112 Quakers were recorded. However, the community was particularly active in the distribution of relief during the Great Famine of the 1840s. They also continued to have an impact on business. Prominent Quaker families in industry and trade were the Pims, Bewleys, Eves, Hoey and Williams, the latter who traded for over two centuries. The largest employer in Edenderry at the turn of the 20th century was Aylesbury Sawmills, established in 1878 by Daniel Aylesbury, a Quaker from Bristol. They manufactured all types of timber products which were exported around the world and specialised in jaunting cars, carts and furniture. At its height, the business employed almost 500 people, many of them relocated to Edenderry from other parts of Ireland. Today, three centuries after its establishment, gatherings are still held in the meeting house twice monthly. When you are ready, continue along Father Kern Street to our next stop, Blundell House. Blundell House. Blundell House is the most impressive residential building in Edenderry. It was built in 1813 to a design by James Brownrigg. He was a surveyor and agent to the third Marcus of Downshire and had succeeded his father John in these roles. John Brownrigg had prepared surveys for the Grand and Royal Canals, which may explain his connection with Edenderry. James, who designed the house, died of typhus fever in 1817, aged just 36. Like many aristocratic families, the Downshires were absentee landlords who did not reside in Edenderry in spite of owning most of the town and 14,000 acres of land. Therefore, the role of agent assumed greater significance. Agents acted on behalf of the downshires, collecting rents from tenants and tolls from weekly markets. Blundell House was designed to reflect the status of the agent's position. Amongst the architectural features at the front of the site are the flanking walls the cast-iron railings and the wrought-iron gate. The house itself is notable for its flight of stone steps leading to the recessed doorway, which is flanked by Doric columns, supporting a splendid fanlight. The timber sash windows and corbelled eaves are other noteworthy attributes of the house. For most of the 19th century, the Murray family held the position of agent, which passed through several generations. Relations between the agent and the local tenantry were not always cordial. 
Indeed, in the 1830s, Murray was frequently worried about his personal safety as he carried out his duties. In 1834, he informed Lord Downshire that there is hardly a day I don't get a coffin or death's head sent to me. As the decades went on, the Murrays faced greater resistance from tenants of the Downshire estate, especially as the land war took hold in the 1880s. One incident in November 1881 is remembered as the Battle of the Tolls. A local man, William Killally, refused to pay the toll to Thomas Richard Murray at the weekly market. His gesture had the backing of the local community and Killally was presented with a new donkey by the Edenderry branch of the Land League. This event signalled a growing mood of defiance towards the landed classes. Further non-payment of tolls spelled the beginning of the end for the Downshire estate. Blundell House was used as a Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks during the War of Independence and was attacked by the IRA in June 1921. Today it is a private residence. When you are ready, continue towards the town centre along the unusually named J.K.L. Street. J.K.L. Street. Edenderry's main thoroughfare has many splendid examples of Georgian architecture, reflecting the growth and improvement of the town in the early 19th century. It was in 1929, however, that it acquired its unusual name of J.K.L. Street. The street was named after James Warren Doyle, Catholic Bishop of Kildare and Lachlan from 1819 to 1834, who signed himself J.K.L., denoting James of Kildare and Lachlan. A noted scholar and writer, he was at the forefront of campaigns for Catholic rights in the first half of the 19th century. He lent his support to Catholic emancipation, the removal of tithes and the establishment of the primary school system. These developments helped the Catholic population emerge from over a century of suppression. The Georgian architecture along J.K.L. Street dates from a prolonged period of building in the early 19th century that was spearheaded by the third Marquess of Downshire. He offered new long-term leases to tenants at low rents and provided larger plots of ground to encourage development. Mud and straw cabins were replaced by stone and slate buildings. Lewis's Topographical Dictionary of 1837 noted that Edenderry contains 214 houses well-built of stone and slated. It is well-paved and supplied with water and is rapidly improving. There are many features in the buildings along J.K.L. Street that are characteristic of Georgian architecture. Among them are the round-headed doorways with semicircular fanlights, panelled timber doors and carriage archways leading to the rear of the premises. Original timber sash windows, cast iron rainwater pipes and railings and cut stone steps can be seen on some of the buildings. Keep an eye out for unique markers on some buildings which signify the tradesmen who worked there. They serve as a reminder of a time when Edenderry was a flourishing commercial hub. Many people of note were born in Edenderry, including Cornelius Heaney. 
1754 to 1848, the renowned American philanthropist and merchant, and the first Catholic to hold public office in New York. Thomas Fry, 1710 to 1762, the painter best known for his portraits in oil and pastel. John Rooney, 1844 to 1927, Bishop of Cape Town, South Africa. Mary Duffy, 1874 to 1952, founder of the Catholic Daughters of America, and Emily Waddell, 1867 to 1942, the Irish language activist. When you are ready, continue along JKL Street until you reach our next stop, Church Walk, which will be on your left. Church Walk. Church Walk is the long avenue lined with yew trees that leads left from JKL Street up to the Church of Ireland. The cut limestone piers and wall with its cast iron gates and railings are very impressive, but the entrance is made more distinctive by the cast iron stag's heads that surmount each pier. Erected in 1840, the gates are yet another testament to the influence of the downshears. The stag's head features on the downshire coat of arms. It has been said that Church Walk has parallels with the avenue at the church at Hillsborough, County Down, which was also owned by the downshires. Proceeding along Church Walk, there are two buildings of note on either side of the avenue. On the left is the teacher's house, which dates from around 1830. Opposite this stands the parochial hall, built in the early 20th century under the guidance of Reverend Newcomb. Originally known as the Young Men's Institute, it is now used for parish and social activities. The red brick door surround and the unusual corbelled red brick chimney are notable architectural features of this building. Further up the avenue was the Sexton's House, the sexton was attached to the nearby church and would have carried out duties such as ringing the bell, digging graves and maintaining the church grounds. At the top of Church Walk stands a statue commemorating the third Marcus of Downshire. It was commissioned in 1846, just one year after his death, and was funded by public subscriptions from local people. The statue, unveiled in 1855, was designed by Joseph Kirk and shows the Marcus dressed in the robes of the illustrious Order of St. Patrick, the Irish equivalent of the Order of the Garter. It is notable that locals sought to commemorate the third Marcus during a turbulent time in Irish history, as the Great Famine was starting to wreak havoc across the country. The third Marcus was considered to be an improving landlord, and he was held in high esteem in Edenderry. Although he faced paying off his father's considerable debts when he inherited the estates in 1809, he took a very proactive approach to helping to alleviate the high levels of poverty in Edenderry noted by his agent, James Brownrigg, in 1815. New leases were arranged at low and often nominal rents, and land and finance for the construction of new churches, schools and public buildings, like the Market House, were provided. Although he never resided in the town, the Marcus's influence was felt everywhere and led to a transformation in the fortunes of Edenderry. When you are ready, 
continue uphill from the statue towards Castropetre Church. Castropetre Church of Ireland. Castropetre Church sits on high ground at the top of Church Walk. The church takes its unusual name from the medieval parish of Castropetre, which is thought to derive from the Latin for Peter's castle or camp. The Peter in question was Piers, the father of Sir John de Birmingham, the first Norman lord in this area. The original Castropetre church was located some two miles from here, near the medieval Franciscan monastery. This structure was over 300 years old and its roof was in a ruinous condition when a decision was made in 1774 to construct a new church. The Marquis of Downshire donated the site and the bell, which still hangs in the bell tower. Funding of around £400 was obtained from the Board of First Fruits, an organisation established to fund the construction of new Protestant churches across Ireland. The total cost of the church was £858, with the balance raised from local contributions. Work was completed in 1778, and the church was consecrated by Charles Jackson, Bishop of Kildare, on May 8th that year. In 1978, an ecumenical service to commemorate the bicentenary of the building of Castropetre was held under the guidance of Archdeacon Charles Finney. The three-bay church is similar in design to many Protestant churches of this era. Perhaps its most distinctive feature is the three-stage bell tower with its pinnacles pointing skyward. The surrounding graveyard has many finely carved grave markers and together with the Uline Church Walk, provides an impressive setting. Detailed church records tells us much about Castropetre over the years. In 1817, the church purchased five flutes for playing music during divine service, while the flute players were paid three pounds each annually. A storm severely damaged the church in 1822, 15 new rafters and two tons of slates were required for repairs. Inside the church, a new gallery was built in 1828 and the locals who subscribed money for its construction had seats allocated to them. One of the beautiful stained glass windows within the church was brought here from nearby Ballyburley Church when it closed in 1972. Inside the church are many fine tablets and memorials, including one which was brought from Monastoris in 1814 and which marks the life of Lady Sarah Blundell, who died in 1701. When you are ready, return down Church Walk and turn left when you exit the gates. Continue down JKL Street to our next stop, Grand Canal Harbour, which will be on your left. Grand Canal Harbour. The Grand Canal Harbour is a part of Edenderry's heritage that remains as active today as it was in times past. Initially, the canal was an important trade and transport hub connecting Edenderry to Dublin and the wider world. Today, the canal is a valuable recreational amenity enjoyed by locals and visitors. Construction of the Grand Canal began in 1756 in Dublin and the route was extended westwards into County Kildare and Offaly over the following decades. 
One of the biggest challenges facing the engineers at the time was crossing the Bog of Allen around Edenderry, and the chosen route brought them a short distance south of the town. In spite of the slow pace of canal construction, it was apparent that a linkage to the canal would bring economic benefits. The second Marcus of Downshire persuaded the Grand Canal Company to bring a branch line about 1.5 kilometres north into the town and donated land and finance for this purpose. Work on the Edenderry branch began in 1797 and was completed in 1802, and the total cost was £692. The following year, the Grand Canal itself was completed when it reached Shannon Harbour. A notable feature of the canal architecture is Blundell Aqueduct, built in 1793, carrying the Grand Canal over the Edenderry Rathangan Road. It is the only structure in Offaly that carries the canal over a road. The canal proved to be a worthwhile investment as economic activity in Edenderry increased as a result. It became much easier to transport goods and people to markets in Dublin. The canal also facilitated bringing goods into the town. Much of the material used to build Edenderry's fine 19th-century houses was transported on the canal. It did face competition when the railway arrived in the 1870s, but continued to be used for goods transport until the 1960s. The original limestone harbour, with its cast-iron mooring posts and ladders descending into the water, are testament to the engineering skill of those that built the canal. Modern tree planting adds a tranquil ambience. From Edenderry Harbour, you can walk south for about one mile along the old canal towpath to join the Grand Canal at Downshire Bridge, a narrow single-arch bridge designed for horses and pedestrians. From this point, the Grand Canal Way, a national waymark trail for walkers and cyclists, connects Edenderry with Dublin to the east and the River Shannon to the west. Across the road from Grand Canal Harbour is the area formerly known as Downshire Row. This terrace of houses was developed in the 1830s when the third Marcus of Downshire let plots of land with gardens at the nominal rent of one shilling per annum. Adjacent to the harbour is the site of the former Aylesbury Timber Factory, which relocated here when the original factory in Market Square was destroyed by fire in 1904. When you are ready, enter Blundell Wood Housing Estate on the south side of Grand Canal Harbour. Take the first left in the estate and proceed uphill. Pass through the pedestrian gateway and continue on the path uphill past Castropetri Church until you reach our next stop on the crest of the hill, the ruins of Blundell Castle. Blundell Castle The ruins of Blundell Castle overlook Edenderry from the south. Although removed from the town centre, this is the hill which gives the town its name. Adon Dira, the height or brow of the Oakwood. From the top of Blundell Castle, it would have been possible to see Carrick Castle to the northeast and Carberry Castle to the east. Local folklore tells of secret tunnels connecting Blundell Castle to these places, which provided a means of escape if the castle was attacked. 
There are also tales of ghosts and hauntings. One story tells us that a lord of the castle went out on a hunting foray and locked his three daughters in the dungeon while he was away. Unfortunately, he was gone for longer than he expected and returned to find his daughters dead. It is said that their ghosts can be seen every night on the stroke of midnight, wandering the castle grounds. Although named after the Blundell family, who resided here in the 17th century, the first castle on this site probably dates from the 13th century and was constructed by the de Birminghams. They were Anglo-Norman lords who were granted lands in Kildare and Offaly following the Norman invasion. They also built Carrick and Carberry castles, and the fact that each castle can be seen from the others was an important aspect for the defence of the surrounding countryside. It was obviously a strategic location, not just for the de Birminghams. Edward Bruce of Scotland reputedly chose this spot to overwinter during his ill-fated campaign in Ireland in 1316. The de Birminghams were engaged in constant strife with the native Irish O'Connor clan. During the 15th century, the O'Connors gained the upper hand and came into control of the castle. They held Thomas, Earl of Desmond, captive here in 1466, having defeated him in battle. 100 years later, in the 1560s, following the plantations of Leash and Offaly, Queen's and King's County, the lands here were granted to the Cowley family by Queen Elizabeth I. In 1599, Sir George Cowley had to defend the castle from an attack by Hugh O'Neill's forces during the Nine Years' War. In the 1650s, the castle came into the ownership of George Blundell, following his marriage to Sarah, daughter and heiress to Sir William Cowley. In February 1691, the castle and town were sacked by Jacobite forces under Lieutenant Colonel O'Connor during the War of the Two Kings. This spelled the end, and the castle was never inhabited afterwards. The hill was the scene of a gruesome event during the rebellion of 1798. Following military defeats in Wexford, parties of United Irishmen under the leadership of Father Moe Cairns and Colonel Anthony Perry made their way into Kildare and Offaly in an effort to drum up support for the rebel cause. Both men were captured at nearby Clombalogue by a party of local yeomanry militia. After a swift trial, they were brought to Blundell Hill where they were hanged in front of a large and hostile crowd. The bodies were taken from here on a turf cart by a local woman, Catherine O'Connell, and buried in Monaster Oris. The hill around the castle was the scene of several futile attempts to mine silver over the years. In the 19th century, the establishment of a mining company, which ultimately failed, led to some tension between the downshears and local investors. When you are ready, return to Grand Canal Harbour, turn left and proceed along St. Mary's Street to our next stop, St. Mary's Catholic Church, which will be on your right. St. Mary's Catholic Church. St. Mary's Church is the main landmark on the western side of Edenderry. Several Catholic schools and the St. John of God Convent are located within the immediate neighbourhood. 
reflecting the strong tradition of Catholicism in the town. However, there were periods when the church struggled against the harsh penal laws, particularly in the 18th century, when bishops were banned from Ireland and many priests were forced into hiding. In 1712, Father Thomas Gagan, parish priest of Monasteroris, was sentenced to jail for not taking an oath as required by law. The penal laws were relaxed in the early 19th century. In 1815, work began on the construction of a new church at Calan, about half a mile west of St. Mary's. The third Marcus of Downshire donated a one-acre site and 50 guineas. This served the community for almost a century, but by the early 1900s, it was in need of repair and unable to accommodate the growing population. A dynamic new priest, Father Paul Murphy, arrived in Edenderry in 1910. At a sermon in January 1912, he proposed the building of a new church to his congregation. A fundraising drive commenced, and donations came in from around the world and from Edenderry's other religious denominations. The foundation stone of the new church was laid by Bishop Foley of Kildare in May 1914. The Hiberno-Romanesque design was by W.A. Scott, the leading architect of his day. The pace of work was hampered somewhat by World War I, and the first Mass was celebrated in St. Mary's in 1919. It took another decade to fully complete the interior, and it was not until July 1932 that the church was consecrated. Father Murphy had been the driving force throughout, raising £65,000 for the church along with £55,000 for the new convent and girls' national school. He died just six months after the work was completed in January 1933. His grave, close to the front of the church, is simply inscribed, If you seek a monument, look around. The bell tower is the most striking external feature of the church. It is dedicated to Father Moog Cairns, who was executed in 1798. Internally, the white Carreri marble altars, railings and pulpit, and the exposed timber trust roof catch the eye. Among the several mosaics is one to St. Bridget in the right transept. Throughout the richly adorned interior, the influence of Father Paul Murphy is apparent. In the grounds at the rear of the church is a holy water font carved with the date 1290 and the letters M and F. This came from the final stop on our tour of Edenderry, the medieval monastery of Monasterorus. Monasterorus is about two kilometers northwest of the town on the Or 441 road towards road. There is a footpath all the way to Monasteroris from the town. From St. Mary's Church, head back towards Grand Canal Harbour and turn left onto St. Francis Street. Continue straight along St. Patrick's Road and turn right onto the Or 441. Continue for one kilometre and Monasteroris will be on your right. Monasteroris Franciscan Friary. The ruins of an important medieval monastery lie just over a mile northwest of the town centre. 
This was once the site of a bustling medieval Franciscan friary, which at its peak had a community of over 300 monks and students. The monastery was founded by the Anglo-Norman lord John de Birmingham, Earl of Louth, in 1325. Its name translates from the Irish Monaster Machiorish as the Monastery of the Son of Piers. John's father, Piers de Birmingham, gained notoriety as the so-called treacherous baron. In 1305, he invited members of the Gaelic O'Connor clan to a feast at Carrick Castle, two miles north of Edenderry. The feast was supposed to double as a peace conference following conflict between the two families, but Piers had other ideas. It was a trap, and his soldiers slaughtered over two dozen of his guests in a bloody act of deception. He sold the heads of his victims in Dublin afterwards. Although Piers went unpunished, his deed was cited as a prime example of English cruelty and perfidy in the Remonstrance of the Irish Princes, a letter written by Irish chieftains to Pope John in 1317. The history of Monasterorus is shrouded in mystery, and there are few contemporary references to the monastic community. It seems the O'Connor clan took control of the monastery from the de Birminghams at some point. As a result, Monasterorus was attacked by English forces under Lord Henry Sidney in 1521 and was conquered and destroyed after a long siege. A short time later, it suffered the same fate as other Irish monasteries when it was dissolved by Henry VIII under his Dissolution of the Monasteries Act and the lands were granted to a Nicholas Herbert. A survey of County Offaly, conducted at the time of the Elizabethan plantations in the 1550s, mentions that there were two castles here, one newly built and the other burned and razed. The ruined medieval church on the roadside dates from the late 13th or early 14th century, but was later altered and extended. It too was probably part of the monastery and continued in use until the 1770s as a place of worship for the Protestant community. At that stage, it was in a poor state of repair and was replaced by Castro Petre Church in Edenderry. A Celtic cross stands 11 feet tall at the rear of the ruined church. This marks the burial place of Father Moe Cairns and Colonel Anthony Perry, who were executed near Blundell Castle during the 1798 rebellion. The cross was erected in 1874 by local public subscription and reflected the growing nationalist sentiment in Ireland in the late 19th century. A crowd of 3,000 marched here from Edenderry for the official unveiling in September of that year. Soon the monument became the scene of nationalist rallies, especially around the centenary of the rebellion in 1898. Two Commonwealth war graves are also located in the graveyard, marking the graves of Private Alexander McBride and Private James Carroll, who fought in World War I. In total, over 300 men and women from the Edenderry area took part in the First World War. When you are ready, please turn to the last track. Conclusion We hope you have enjoyed your time here with us in Edenderry. This audio guide was produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Edenderry Historical Society, Edenderry Tidy Towns and Edenderry Lions Club 
and was funded by the Heritage Council. To discover more stories about Ireland, please visit our website, abartaheritage.ie.